upon the waters, the great unknown, feet may fail, and they'll find you in the mystery, and oceans deep, my faith will stand. Bounds in deepest waters, sovereign hand, be my guide. Fear and fail, fear surrounds me, never fail, and you won't stop now. gracious and holy God, I thank you for this opportunity to get into your word. God, I thank you that through the lives of your disciples, through Paul and through all the other people that you inspired, that you have given us 
an understanding of your character, an understanding of the life that you have made possible through your Son, Jesus Christ, and an understanding of what it means to truly trust and believe in you for all things. God, we ask this morning that as we read from your word, as we discuss what it means to be a believer, that somebody would hear this message, and perhaps if they have never thought about what it meant to be loved by you, what it meant to be a part of the family of God, that today something would stir within them, a desire to know you and to bring their life to you. God, we ask that you would bless us in this time and that by the reading of your word that you would receive glory and honor. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. We're finishing up our study on the book of Ephesians and our discussion of what faith is and how we grow and come to be people of faith, but then how we grow in our faith and our understanding of what it does within us and what is the purpose of what it does in the world. And I I've said this every Sunday, and I've got to say it again. I am blown away by the book of Ephesians, the way that Paul writes about the understanding of what it means to be a disciple and the way that he talks about the Christian life. He doesn't only just address it from a doctrinal standard uh, in the things that we need to understand about God's character and the person of Jesus, but he takes it and he makes those things become a part of our life in the world and the way that we see ourselves in the world and then also uh, what we're going to talk about today and how we take that and we use that as strength in order to stand against Satan and against the things of the world that try to pull us away uh, from God. But what I have loved the most out of this book that we have discussed, this entire letter to these believers on the understanding of what it means to be somebody who is found in Christ, what it means to be somebody who's joined together with Christ. And he does this all from the aspect and the understanding of what Jesus has done. Uh, I think one of the biggest things that runs people away from the church is that they see church as this great giant list of rules and things that you have to live up to. And I know that so often as Christians, when we preach the Word, when we try to teach the Word, that's how we deliver it. We say in order to be a Christian, you got to do this, you got to do that, you can't do this, you can't do that. And I think that's where Paul was really writing this letter from, is addressing that issue and that understanding of saying this is not something that you have done. And for me, I love the way that he writes this letter, and you can tell that he writes it as somebody who has experienced grace who has truly experienced what it means to be found in Jesus Christ. We could spend a year talking about this book and what all is in there. We talked about how uh, through Jesus Christ we've been saved through grace. It's not something we've done or, or actions that we have done, but it's something that Jesus did for us. And he begins his letter out in that talking about that we have been united with Christ, and this was God's plan all along. Even before you and I were created or even thought about by family, God had already established his love for us and had already established the work that Jesus Christ was going to do for us. John starts out his gospel that way. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And so Paul really takes that, and he helps us to understand that, in that he says, through the person of Jesus Christ, we have been adopted into the family of God. And so Paul is saying that in order to experience 
the love and the goodness of Jesus Christ and to be seen as an adopted child in God's family, we don't have to do anything other than believe. And then we're commanded to repent, to turn and to do something else. And we teach repentance even so much sometimes as a list of new things that we have to do. We have to add this to our list in order that we would be good enough for our salvation. But the repentance that Paul shows us here in Ephesians is not a repentance to work towards something, but it is a repentance that works within us as a result of something. He says that understanding of being seated with Jesus Christ as a child of God and to be united with Christ in receiving the inheritance of God allows us to experience that grace and from that redemption is where the repentance in our life happens as we learn to trust God as we learn to grow in Jesus and experience more of Jesus then our life even sometimes when we don't even know it becomes more about the things of God as, as opposed to the things that are just natural to us Paul really uh, approached that in talking about our sinful nature uh, in saying that um, there's something within us that keeps us from looking to God and it's our sinful nature in the way that we we want to have the things of ourselves but when Jesus comes to us and when the Holy Spirit is within us we begin to realize that all of those things don't compare to the goodness that God has revealed through the work of Jesus Christ and all of this is done through faith Jesus loves us so much that he wants to work in our lives and Paul uh, approaches that so eloquently on so many different levels it just it blows me away to see the way that Paul understood the intimacy that God is trying to establish in our lives through the work of Jesus and I love really in chapter 3 verse 17 Paul makes a statement he says that Christ makes his home in your hearts as you learn to trust in him. And that's something we really don't think of. I don't think, honestly, that a lot of Christians think about their relationship with Jesus Christ in regards to Jesus making his home in their hearts. I think Jesus is really sometimes still held out at arm's length. Paul is saying that this understanding of grace is not something that we can keep at arm's length. There's no way we can keep it at arm's length because it is something that happens within the heart of a person. It is something that transforms and creates this person to be a new being. And he says that now if you are a child of God, you are a child of the light. And with this new life, this new light, comes an understanding of a new community. And he says, no longer can we live by the world where our minds are full of darkness and we can't wander far from the life that God offers. Um, and he says, that's all because of the natural sin and the occurrence and the, the effects of the world is that without the Holy Spirit and without giving up and repenting and believing in what Jesus Christ has done, that our hearts grow further and further away from him but he says the great thing is is that Jesus Christ has come and that as people who learn about Christ and as people who have learned about Christ 
then we have the ability through the work of the Holy Spirit to throw off who we once were, to rid ourselves of all the things that are not of God, and instead focus on what this new life in Christ is. And it says to be like God, to work to be like God in all things. Uh, and again, he, he goes kind of towards John's gospel about I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And Paul says this is what is to take over who you are. Now, today we're going to talk a little bit about uh, chapter 4 and chapter 5 and a little bit from chapter 6 where Paul really does give specifics of what it means to be living this new life. And he does that not as a to-do list or not as a thing a list of things that you have to keep up with or to shy away from. But he is saying this, that if Jesus Christ is already present in your life, if the Holy Spirit is present within your life, this is who you are. It's not saying um, this is what you need to do. It is saying this is who you are because of Jesus. So trust in the work of what Jesus is doing. Um, verse 5 right there, he, he says in chapter 5, he said that there are things that have no place among God's people. Uh, they may be normal for the culture, normal for the world in which we live in, but God's people understand that it doesn't matter the world around them because Jesus Christ is within them. And in chapter 6 is uh, verses 10 through verses 20. Uh, it's a passage that most of us heard when we were kids. Even if you don't go to church today, odds are you've heard about what it means to put on the armor of God. And so I really want to read that passage, and then I want us to spend some time talking about that um, and understanding what Paul was saying there. Paul says, A final word, brothers and sisters, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you would be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but instead we are fighting against rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in the dark world, and against evil spirits that are in the heavenly places. So therefore put on every piece of God's armor so that you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle you will still be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, make sure that you put on your feet the peace that comes from the good news so that you would be fully prepared. In addition to all these things, hold up the shield of faith so that you might stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as a helmet and take the sword of the Spirit because that is the word of God. And pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert. Be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. And pray for me too, my brothers and sisters. Ask God to give me the right words so that I can boldly explain God's mysterious plan that the good news is for the Jews and the Gentiles alike. I am in chains now, still preaching this message as God's ambassador, so pray that I would keep on speaking boldly for Him as I know that I should. He tells the church from the very beginning that He is writing to them from a place of prison. And he's saying, if I can write to you about the goodness of God and the things that God has done in Jesus Christ from a place such as this prison cell, then what could possibly hinder you from experiencing the love and the goodness of Jesus Christ for yourself? He's saying that is something you have to understand, that Jesus Christ desires a relationship with you so much. 
So here he's closing out his letter and he tells them not to be strong in their own powers and abilities or their ability to be obedient even. But instead he says to be strong in the Lord and be strong in his mighty power. Over and over again throughout this letter, Paul talks about being in the strength of the Lord, being in the power of the Lord. He is very careful every single time he talks to make sure that it is not on our power and it is not on our ability that we are left. The greatest thing about Jesus Christ is that he has done all the work for us. That what he did on the cross was enough that he might say it is finished that sin has been conquered, that that separation from God as our Creator and as our Father is no more. And each one of us, if we believe in Jesus Christ, has the ability to experience the love and the goodness of God. And through that, then God is able to redeem us and is able to claim the things that sin has taken away and is able to bring truth into the lies that Satan has told us in order to try and keep us from knowing and experiencing God. What you have to understand is that Satan hates you. That Satan hates you so much that he is willing to do whatever he is possibly able to do and can get away with in order to keep you from experiencing God and from living like Jesus Christ. And he says he does that because we are all made in the image of God. If you will remember in Genesis, if you've never read scripture, the Bible starts out talking about how God created uh, male and female in his image. And that became his most prized and precious creation. Uh, but because of sin entering into creation, it broke that connection that we have. And Satan hates God so much and hates all things of God that he hates people who have experienced Jesus Christ. So Paul says in here in, the, in this letter, he says, be strong in the Lord's power. Be strong in what the Lord has done. And he says, put on this armor so that you would be able to stand firm against all the things that Satan tries to throw against you. This is imagery that somebody could understand, that somebody would be able to see and realize what Paul is saying. Verse 12, he says, Understand that we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. I think that's the number one thing that the church needs to remember, is that uh, we're called to be different than the world. Uh, if you remember, we talked about a few weeks ago that the, the worst thing that the Christian church has ever done has focused more on being right and wrong than they have searching for God and trying to honor God with everything that they do. So Paul says to make sure that you realize you're not fighting against flesh and blood people. It's not you against other people. But instead, the life that you are trying to live for Christ or the life that Jesus calls you to have uh, is fought against by authorities that are in an unseen world, by spiritual means and, and things that don't just work where we can see them, but instead are able to tell us things that are able to do things and cause us to think things uh, that are not of God, that Jesus Christ has not intended for us. And so Paul uses my favorite word in all of Scripture right there. He says, therefore... I love the word therefore because what it does is it is telling us that because of this, something is about to happen or there is something that we can do. There is something that Jesus Christ has made possible in order that we might be victorious. So Paul says, make sure that you put on every piece of God's armor so that you'd be able to resist the enemy in that time of evil. 
each aspect of this armor that Paul lays out for us is important in and of itself. But I think the number one thing we need to grasp before we look at the armor and the tools that Paul says are available for our use is the position, the battle position that Paul says we are to take. He never ever says that we are to attack, that we are never to go forward in battle, but we are to take up a defensive strategy. When you take a defensive stance, that means you are not the one that is doing the attacking. You are not the one that is carrying out the assault. For us to understand this is monumental. Jesus Christ is the one who does the attacking. It is the Holy Spirit is the one who leads the assault. And so all we have to do is stand firm in what Jesus Christ has done. And so Paul says that when you resist the things that the enemy tries to tell you and the things that the enemy tries to do, then after this battle, you would stand firm because you have protected yourself with the things of God. Stand your ground. He says the number one way and the first way that we do this is the belt of truth. We stand on the truth of who Jesus Christ is. We stand on the truth that Jesus Christ is the way to God, that Jesus Christ is the one who offers salvation, that Jesus Christ is the one who conquered sin and who defeated death. Standing on that truth gives us the foundation necessary in order to understand that Jesus Christ is the one fighting our battles for us. And he says, so put on the body armor of God's righteousness. Realize that through Jesus Christ, we are considered as righteous and that righteousness covers over us. Remember chapter 1 again when he starts it out. He says, because of Jesus Christ, you have been united with Christ. You have been united as one of God's children and adopted into his family. So clothe yourself in that righteousness. And then he says, when you walk to cover your feet with peace that comes from the good news that Jesus Christ has taken your place, that Jesus Christ has taken the, the cost of your sin and he has done something that you could not do. So have peace in that in your life. We get this idea that we must have done something wrong in order to make God mad or God is testing us or God is punishing us for something that we do. But Paul says right here, he says, Put on the peace that comes from the good news. Jesus Christ has come. Jesus Christ died. Jesus Christ rose again. He uttered the words, it is finished. Paul says, let that peace fill your heart and take over any anxieties that you might be feeling. And he says, hold up the shield of faith that you might stop the fiery arrows of the devil. You know, one of the hardest things to do in this life is to just survive. It's sometimes the things that happen within us that seem to pull us uh, even further and further away from experiencing hope or peace. But Paul says if you have this shield of faith in the work of Jesus Christ, it will be able to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. So see here, even in all of these things, it is still nothing that we have done in order to be successful. It is still nothing that we have done to be victorious. But these are the things that Jesus Christ has done. These are the things that we need to remember for ourselves, that we need to hold on to. And then Paul says, put on your salvation as a helmet. 
to cover your head with the salvation that you know has come through Jesus Christ. And he says, take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. That Word of God there could be understood two different ways. We could look at it as literally the Bible, or we could look at it as Jesus Christ, the sword of the Spirit, the one who fought against sin, the one who conquered death. That is the Word of God that we are able to hold up in order that we might stand our ground, that we might allow Jesus Christ to fight our battles. In battle, you know, the number one thing uh, that is probably even more important, I, I would say, than the weapons that you go into battle with is your ability to communicate. A hundred uh, people armed with rocks are going to be able to do a lot better if they've got good communication uh, than, you know, people with, with more firepower than that if they're confused and they're running around. So we have to understand that communication with God is something that is essential for our lives. And because of Jesus Christ, it is something that is possible. So he says, pray in the Spirit at all times, on every occasion. Stay alert. Be persistent in your prayers for all believers anywhere. In the book of Ephesians, Paul, he tells us from the very beginning that it is all because of Jesus, that it is all through Jesus, and that all of these things have been done so that God would receive glory. And God receives glory when people hear the message of Jesus, that he died on the cross, that he took their place, that even while they were sinners, he loved them. And not only did he love them while they were sinners, but he is going to fight that battle for them. That if you will place your faith in him, he will do the work. And he says that when we allow him to do the work in our lives, and he will bring us into the presence of God. But that's a hard thing to do in the world. Unfortunately, the world has influence. Unfortunately, our naturally sinful selves and our natural inclination often pulls us away from experiencing Jesus. Uh, we look at our past or we look at the mistakes that we've done or perhaps we look at the, the one thing that we can't conquer and we see ourselves as failures and we think I've done so much stuff that Jesus could never love me or there's no way he could love somebody like me. Uh, but that's not the case. It, before we were even thought of, Jesus Christ did everything necessary. So we're entering into the season of Lent and it is a, a period of 40 days before Easter where we spend time in reflection, we spend time in uh, repentance, and we spend time considering our brokenness that through Jesus Christ, God has made such wonderful things possible for us. But because of our inability to trust fully in what Jesus has done, we miss out. Sometimes the world has a greater influence on us than Jesus does, and that's just the reality of it. Sometimes the influence of the things that we watch and the things that we listen to uh, gain our priority more than experiencing the love and experiencing the fullness of Jesus Christ. So as a disciple, what it means is to, to see what Jesus has done, to understand that he has done something on our behalf, and then to trust in him and follow him and to learn more and to experience more about that. But sadly, many people of faith never truly live into that discipleship and never truly live into that thing that Jesus has done. And what this does when life throws us a curveball and the storms get racy and, and waves are blowing, we don't stand firm in our faith. And our shield is not able to stop the attacks that Satan is throwing at us. And so I want us to turn back to Matthew's uh, 
gospel real quick, and I'm going to try and finish up as fast as I can here. But Jesus tells a parable to the disciples that I want us to talk about, and perhaps we're going to look at it in a different light than you've probably looked at before. It's in Matthew chapter 25, verses 1 through 13. It says, Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten bridesmaids who took their lamps, who went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, five of them were wise. The five who were foolish didn't take enough olive oil for their lamps, but the other five were wise enough to take along extra oil. When the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and fell asleep. And at midnight they were roused by the shout, Look, the bridegroom is coming, come out and meet him. All the bridesmaids got up and prepared their lamps. And then the five foolish ones asked the others, Please give us some of your oil because our lamps are going out. But the others replied, We don't have enough for all of us, so go to a shop and buy some for yourselves. But while they were gone to buy oil, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready to go went into the marriage feast with him, and the door was locked. And later, when the other five bridesmaids returned, they stood outside calling, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. But yet he called back, Believe me, I don't know who you are. So you too must keep watch, for you do not know the day or the hour of my return. In this discourse, Jesus is sitting with his disciples on the Mount of Olives, and he is sharing with them what it means or what it will look like in the last days before he returns. He uses this parable found in Matthew in order to help his disciples understand the importance of living into their faith now instead of seeing discipleship or seeing the Christian life as something that could be done passively. Notice Jesus is not talking to people who aren't familiar with him, but yet he's talking to the people who have claimed a relationship with him, to his disciples. And he uses this example of ten bridesmaids. And he says there were five who when the time came to go and meet the bridegroom that we understand as Jesus, they weren't prepared. Uh, their lamp had gone out and they were not able to see in the darkness to get where they needed to be. And so when they asked those who had enough, they were told, you know, you need to go get your own. You weren't prepared. And I, I think Jesus was using that as an understanding of discipleship, urging the disciples to, to be diligent now and seeking God and seeking Jesus Christ to be diligent now and learning to trust Jesus Christ because the time will come when life does something that will tear you to your core. And he says that you need to be able to be prepared for that so that when that moment comes, you might stand. That is the thing of the Christian life. You know, some people will experience Jesus and their life changes immediately. And it seems that some people experience Jesus, but yet they never truly live into it. And they never truly get to experience what Jesus Christ has done. And those are usually the people that are, are struggling in the world, that are feeling like the world is getting them down or that God is coming after them to punish them. Uh, and so Paul does something when he writes this letter to the church at Ephesus as he reveals to them the great mystery of what God has done through Jesus Christ and what it means to be a person of faith and to live into the life that Jesus Christ has brought, that Jesus Christ has made possible, that Jesus Christ will create within you and will perform within you. It is all about Jesus Christ. And so I want you to hear that today. If you are a believer and you have been a believer, understand that Jesus Christ is the one fighting your battles. Poured his love on you, took your place on the cross. 
If you've never understood what it meant to have faith in Jesus Christ, I want you to hear those same words. There's nothing that you could have done in your past that would not make you good enough to be a member of God's kingdom and to be adopted as seen as God's own child and understand that these are all things that Jesus has done. So you don't have to worry about getting your life right before you experience Jesus. You don't have to worry about making sure that you clean everything up so that you look the part. All you have to do is realize that Jesus Christ has done this for you and that Jesus Christ will perform things in you to help you experience God if you will learn to trust him and if you will believe what he has done on your behalf. My prayer for us is this that we would become people that the Holy Spirit is working in, that we would want to receive what Jesus Christ has for us, and that we would learn to live in our fullest capacity now, that we wouldn't go through life claiming faith and on the inside being filled with fear and anxiety and shame and guilt, but we would learn now to live in the fullness of what Jesus Christ has done and through that realize that it is Jesus Christ guiding us and that it is through the power of Jesus Christ that he will equip us and make it possible for us to trust in him and to follow him and to grow and to be the body of Christ filled with the love of God. God, I thank you for these weeks that we've spent in the book of Ephesians. I thank you that Paul writes from a place of experience. And God, I know that is the influence that you want each one of us to experience that you want each one of us to know Jesus in such a way that when we speak, we speak because we have experienced in our heart. God, that when we live our lives, we live them knowing that Jesus Christ conquer the battles of our lives, not by our own power, but God, you have done all those things already through your son, Jesus Christ. God, I pray that if somebody heard this message today and they have not yet experienced what it means to have faith in Jesus, that today something would stir within them that would give them a desire to know you, to be adopted and to be filled with the love and the goodness that only comes from you. God, as we head into this season of Lent, I pray that these next 40 days would be a time for us to understand how we allow so much of our time and so much of our commitments to go against things that don't matter, but yet you are still waiting on us that your love is still so much for us that it is available for us. God, that you are calling us to be redeemed from sin, that you are calling us to be restored to you through Jesus. So God, let us glorify you. Let us be about you. God, be with us. God, we pray that you would clothe us in your goodness and you would fill us with your strength. And we pray all these things in your precious Holy Son's name. Amen.